It is a prime ingredient that fuels the fires of imagination. Amid countless eons past, it fanned a spark ignited by a primeval author, chiseling arcane petroglyphs across a dim cave wall. This life-giving current once grew papyrus for paper and dried vibrant oils brushed over canvas. Carried across the land since before the dawn of time, it is the breath that gave rise to dinosaurs and has since walked on the surface of the moon. Manifesting as a placid breeze, it stirs memories of childhood, or as a turbulent vortex, ripping up the pages of history. Powered by this influence, we dream, love, laugh, hate and destroy. In short, live out our lives. A gust of this disturbance carries the potential to scatter fog surrounding the unknown. Drifting through frequencies of time and space, thin air is inhaled for the first time and exhaled at the last. Don't try to catch your breath. I sat there, head in my hands, still, only dressed in nothing more than my leotard and tights, leg warmers, and tap shoes, on the cold concrete curbside out front of the Richard Rogers Theater. The show was One Rush, a Broadway musical that had been the talk of the town ever since auditions had officially started two days ago. Cattle calls that were intended to single out a 12-dancer ensemble for the play that was set to begin production sometime in late September. Not that any of that really matters now. What's that? Oh, um, yeah. The name is Clover Delaney, dancer. Well, sort of. I mean, I've got the degree from Juilliard in a drawer in my apartment buried beneath a pile of unpaid bills. Sadly, the show's director was far more interested in whether I could execute a perfect sideways shuffle with jazz hands, not hold a piece of paper in his face and demand that he pick me. Sitting here now, feeling sorry for myself, I was just about ready to hang up the tap shoes and tails for good and become a full-time barista. No matter how much pride and perseverance I could muster, my bank account couldn't deal with any more missed income brought on by big dreams or lofty ambitions. Sitting here, wallowing in my disappointment, insult added to injury when rain started gushing down from the gloomy gray sky above, soaking my scantily clad self and making me feel like a poor wet dog that just got kicked to the curb for failing to roll over or sit up on command. Shit, I grumbled as I leaped gracefully to my feet, tapping and splashing my way to the nearest back alley with an awning, ironically, one that sported an overhang, fending off the downpour above a firmly locked, 
stage door, pounding hard enough to knock off a frayed cloud of chipped paint curls. I shouted, Hey, can you lend a girl a towel? Extend a little kindness, maybe? I guess not. Sighing, I leaned my weary forehead against the cold, passionless metal and started sobbing quietly. <laughs> Damn it, I exclaimed, then scoffed. No curtain calls, please. Just give my regards to Broadway. I have no more time, or for that matter, energy, to pour into this little endeavor. Chasing one's dreams, it would seem, just elicits hope where there is none. You need the money, Clover, not fame. Why then do I go on subjecting myself to this rejection? Could it be that I'm just a big time sucker for punishment? Not likely. All that my boyfriend had to do was look at another girl the wrong way. I wasn't about to be a Klingon in a dead-end relationship. I flushed the bastard, didn't even bother to watch the swirly. So I ask you, how can it be so damned easy to exercise my love life when I keep on hoping against all odds that I might have just one glorious moment in the limelight? Like an itch I can't reach to scratch. A longing for something that's really nothing more than a vague notion. How can I feel so strongly about something never experienced? No answers. I just turned and leaned my back against the door and let myself slide down to the cold, damp ground. At almost the same exact moment that my butt hit the pavement, I heard someone start whistling from somewhere further down the alley. Probably some homeless guy, happy to have found a fresh morsel back there in a trash can. Then, to my surprise, the whistling was accompanied by the click-clack of a very accomplished tap dancer, skipping and scuffing his or her tap shoes along the pebbly surface and coming closer. No doubt a dancer in one of the shows, kicking up their heels, happy to have been cast and taking a break from rehearsals. I recognized the song the dancer was whistling as well, Heart from Damn Yankees, though I'm pretty sure the show wasn't currently playing at any venue down here. Before I could actually see my newfound hoofer, I caught sight of his shadow, well-defined across a graffiti-stained brick wall, the outline an unmistakable form of a man sporting a fedora hat tipped forward and off to one side so far down across his face that the brim rested firmly on the bridge of his nose. Then, with a swagger the likes of which even Fred Astaire couldn't have topped, the man flawlessly pinched the dent of the hat and rolled it end over end, not once but three times, letting it fall to catch it upside down in his other hand and then return it to its place on his head in a single graceful sweep. From around a bend in the alley, 
Shadow finally connected to flesh and blood as this amazing performer danced into view, lightly kicking up a fine mist from puddles he splashed through on his way to where I was seated. The entire performance was so flawless and impressive that I couldn't help but stand and applaud when he stopped across from me, leaned against the opposite wall, and folded his arms. Imagine yourself to be a fly on the wall, somewhere along the Great White Way. Broadway, that is. The Big Apple, New York, New York. Enter Clover Delaney, a young and talented dancer looking for her first big break. As Clover will soon discover, breaking into the business is no easy task unless, of course, you happen to have a few friends in high places. Miss Delaney, whether she realizes it yet or not, has just now happened upon the chance of a lifetime. A stranger in tap shoes who has seemingly stepped out of a back alley leading off into thin air. With the exception of his drooping, tattered white socks, the man was dressed head to toe in black, from the tip of his hat to the weathered shoe leather of his taps. In yet another perfectly executed flick of the wrist, the stranger wedged a cigarette between his lips and lit it so quickly I barely noticed the flame from his lighter. Taking a long, deep drag, he gestured in my direction and said, Why so glum? Intimidated by his air of confidence, I stammered to reply. Oh, um, yeah. Audition didn't go so well. Pointing to the ground at my feet, I said, still trying to find all the pieces of my broken dreams that got kicked to the curb. I know they must be here somewhere. The man grinned and looked down where I was pointing. That's too bad. He said, squinting his eyes. I don't see him either. The rain must have washed him away. That's a shame. Yeah, I responded. Or, if not the rain, my copious buckets of tears. Either way, I think they're all gone now. Time to face away from the music, in my case. Set my sights on being the numero uno barista instead, right? The man took another drag from his cigarette and eyed me knowingly, as if he'd seen thousands of my kind before. That's no apron you're wearing, miss. Aren't you a little underdressed to make coffee? For that matter, to be out here sloshing around in this downpour? Yeah, well, when the cattle calls, I chided, you're trying to beat the stampede. In other words, I didn't bring along the raincoat. That's where too much confidence will get you. I guess I figured I'd be in there, I said gesturing across the way toward the Richard Rogers, one of a select few. It is a very freaky business, the man lamented, shaking his head. But don't kid yourself, miss. You think Gene Kelly gave a shit if it was raining? 
The wisdom of his words coaxed a giggle, the first glimmer of lightheartedness I'd expressed all day. I suppose not, I replied, though I doubt that Jean, um, Mr. Kelly, made such a big splash by way of an audition. Surely he was hand-picked to play Don Lockwood. So what are you saying, huh? He asked. Jean was just a shoe-in? The man took one last long drag on his smoke, then dropped the butt on the ground, snuffing it out beneath the toe of his tap shoe. Exhaling a wispy halo of smoke that curled up around the brim of his hat, he said, You either got it or you don't. Once you take that to heart, that confidence thing, it's just second nature, like breathing, but better. You're dancing, giving them the old razzle-dazzle, understand? So ask yourself, is that you? Are you a good dancer? I started blurting out some nonsensical, stammering word salad of a reply, but he abruptly cut me off. If you answer yes to that one, you might just as well sashay away. This street is littered with the broken dreams of good dancers. He took several steps out from the edge of the alleyway, then turned on a dime and coolly extended an outstretched hand in my direction. Then again, you might just be a great dancer. I took his hand then, and with the ease of a consummate professional, he pulled me close and placed his free hand on the small of my back. You know the steps, right? He asked. To the show. One rush. Let's take it from the top. He then paused and looked me over, assessing my reaction. You do know the steps? I scoffed. Of course I know the steps, by heart and then some. Question is, how the hell do you know them? The guy gave me a little sideways, cat ate the canary grin, and tapped the brim of his fedora. Trust me. He said. I'm a choreographer. I know all the steps. With that, he used his hand on my back to spin me out to arm's length, out until his grasp on my hand caught my outward motion, and like a loaded spring, snapped me back against his outstretched arm for a perfect bridge so far across the curve of his elbow that both of my feet nearly lifted completely off the ground. Not missing a beat, my newfound dance partner released his white knuckle grip on my hand and sent me pirouetting toe to alternating toe into the deserted street, by now totally focused on the routine that I had spent hours, days, no, weeks, to perfect. When I finally did stop to strike a pose, I saw that he wasn't far behind me, bounding out in my direction and performing no less than five perfect fan kicks along the way. All the while, twirling his fedora as though it were somehow tethered to his hand on an invisible length of string. As the choreography dictated, I instinctively caught hold of his hand on the way by, and together we splashed our way down the street directly in front of the Richard Rogers Theatre, my sense of defiance worn proudly on my sleeve as we cavorted by the box office with more confidence than I have ever been able to muster in my life.
It was as though this were more than just a man, more even than an incredible performer. Like the embodiment of dance itself, the art form incarnate. I could literally feel his energy every time I leaped and twirled within his orbit. An undeniable surge of confidence lifted me ever higher with each step I took. Meanwhile, he was a force to reckon with in and of himself. At one point, leaping on top of a sidewalk bus bench with an outstretched flurry of jazz hands before tipping into a backflip and landing unscathed on bended knee in front of me with a satisfied little wink. As we reached the close of the number, I executed an elegant little curtsy to which he responded with a bow. Last but certainly not least came the much-anticipated sideways shuffle, the move in question that had foiled my chance at being picked for the show. This time, it was flawless, eliciting a look of complete satisfaction from my as-yet unknown dance instructor. I was about to throw my arms around him in a show of appreciation if for nothing else than to have restored faith in myself when I heard the sound of muted applause behind me. I turned, and there, standing out in front of the Richard Rogers Theater, was the director of One Rush, Bert Rockwell, the same guy that had offhandedly sent me packing a little while earlier. Here, now, he was smiling, waving me over to where he was standing, seemingly adamant to tell me something. As I approached, he looked down for a moment as if conflicted. When I'm wrong, I'm not too full of myself to admit it, he said. I stepped up next to him on the sidewalk, and he looked up into my face seemingly examining my expression for a hint of interest in what he was about to tell me. I watched you out here, just now, you know, dancing the number. He paused, cupping his palm over his mouth as if trying to formulate his words carefully. Finally, he went on. Listen, you're not just a good dancer, Clover. I see now that I made a terrible mistake passing on you the way that I did. What I'm trying to say is, I'd very much like a chance to rectify the situation. If you still want it, that is, if you don't already have something else lined up, you've got the part of Everly in the show. If he had been examining my expression, I'm sure he must have noticed the wide-eyed radical change. The lead role? Are you serious? I exclaimed. Serious as a heart attack, he replied. That's a yes, I take it? Heck yeah, I shouted. Thank you, Mr. Rockwell. Trust me, sir, you won't be disappointed. It's all good, Miss Delaney. Disappointed would have been my reaction, had you said no. 
Gesturing with a wave of his arm toward the theater entrance, he said, Why not come inside? Meet the rest of the cast. I was about to go with him when it suddenly occurred to me that I hadn't so much as thanked the guy out here who was ultimately responsible for gifting me with this second chance. I'll be along shortly, Mr. Rockwell. Give me five or ten minutes. There's someone out here I need to talk to first. Essentially, my dance instructor, I suppose. The director looked around, up and down 46th Street, and seemed a bit perplexed. Yeah, sure. Take your time. Come on in when you're ready. Will do, sir, I said, extending my arm. Mr. Rockwell smiled and shook my hand, then turned and disappeared through the box office door. Alone, once again. I searched, but did not see the dancer. It started raining again as I made my way back over to the alley where we first met, and I was suddenly saddened that I hadn't had the common courtesy to ask him his name. Considering how tragic it would be to never know who it was that had rescued my fledgling dance career from certain extinction, I simply called out, Hello? Um, yeah, I just thought you should know. I, uh, I got the part. The lead, actually. Thanks to you, that is. The director saw us dancing together, and well, I guess the rest is history. I heard a matchtip flare from somewhere back in the darkness. He saw you, Clover. His voice replied. Seems you're a great dancer after all. All you really needed from me was a good swift kick in the leotard. I'm just glad I could help. I caught a whiff of cigarette smoke wafting past, and though I still couldn't see him, I knew he must be just around the corner of a small, shadowy alcove. Sort of after the fact, I said, asking you this now, but, mister, I didn't get your name. I heard him take another long drag on his smoke, as if he needed a moment to consider how best to answer. Instead of responding to me directly, he offhandedly pretended not to hear. How's that? He asked. Your name, I repeated. You never told me your name. I caught a brief glimpse of him strutting away, a little jackrabbit spring in his step, kicking up his heels like Mr. Bojangles himself, tapping loudly down the dim alley. And, though I can't be absolutely sure, I could swear I saw him fading away, dissolving into a lingering puff of cigarette smoke. Me? Call me Foss. Fred Astaire did. Once. Thanks, Foss. E. For everything. You certainly don't miss a beat, do you, kid? Break a leg, Delaney. Strut your stuff. And as always, remember to leave that ghost light turned on. But of course, you already know all that jazz. See you around, Clover. There's no business like it. The show business, that is. Very few chosen professions carry with them such a promise of immortality. The opportunity to leave behind a legacy beyond a lighted stage 
or splashed in flickering lights across a silver screen. Yesterday, they told you you would not go far. That night, you open, and there you are. Next day on your dressing room, they've hung a star. Clover Delaney caught hold of a star and, for one shining moment, danced with greatness. A ghost whose style and steps are far, far lighter than thin air. Live like you'll die tomorrow. Work like you don't need the money. And dance like nobody's watching. Episode 18 of the Thin Air Podcast Anthology, Once More, From the Top, was written, produced, directed, narrated, and told by R.J. Lonsdale. The voices of Clover Delaney and Burt Rockwell were performed by yours truly, R.J. Lonsdale, and the voice of Mr. Foss was performed by my good friend, Robert. Whistling Heart was performed by Mark W. Wood. Audio production for this Thin Air episode by R.J. Lonsdale of Flyby Studios. Music compositions used in this episode include Shadows in the Night by D.L. Sounds, Against the Current by Matt Wong, and Touch the Sky by Gus Walner, licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. This has been an R.J. Lonsdale Flyby Studios presentation.